Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Telephone number is toll free, 1-800-636-8686. And you know to follow me on social media. Also, go to my Instagram feed if you don't mind. Do them both at Jim Rome. We will have an ATP also in that busy third hour. All right, let's get it. So you remember a while back when baseball players suddenly started to show up and they looked like linebackers, they had absurd muscles, they had comically oversized helmets because their heads were growing, they were murdering baseballs like 500 feet, and remember how people tried to act like that was so natural, you know, guys just spending a little more time in the weight room. And even if there was something going on that wasn't natural, it certainly wouldn't help, right? Remember all that bull crap about how that's not going to make you hit a baseball? You can't pull a guy out of Gold's gym and put him in a major league uniform. Remember all that bull crap? Yeah, the good old days. Yeah, well, we're back to those good old days. Except now, instead of hitters juicing up, we're talking about pitchers rubbing down. Allegedly. So quietly over the past few weeks, MLB has started making more and more noise about pitchers using foreign substances on the baseball. They're trying to get a better grip because a better grip increases spin rate. So guys are absolutely on the grip. They're doing everything they can to get a grip. Like it doesn't help them throw harder, but it does help them get better control of the ball and a higher spin rate. And a higher spin rate obviously makes it tougher to hit the ball. Y'all remember, when spin rate became a thing and suddenly pitchers had crazy spin rate on their pitches and everybody was told it was because they had mastered their technique and their mechanics and they were just getting better at it. Yeah, well, about that. Come to find out. Turns out, yeah, maybe not everybody perfected their technique. Maybe it's got nothing to do with technique. Maybe the only technique these guys have mastered is doctoring the baseball. And by some guys, I mean a lot of guys. And by a lot of guys, I mean almost everybody, apparently. According to Buster Olney, quote, Teams say pitchers are using various types of homemade glue, pelican grip, spider tack adhesive, or high volumes of pine tar. End quote. So Pelican Grip is a pine tar and rosin blend for bat handles. Spider Tack is a mix for power lifters to help them maintain their grip on a bar in competition. Pine tar is pine tar, right? And homemade glue is, who the hell knows what that is? But apparently dudes are mixing it up in the garage. So think of it as some sort of, I don't know, baseball meth, I guess. Except to grip with instead of ingesting. And they're dragging it out to the bump with them in volume. According to Olney, they're not using only a little bit either. Quote, the substances being used, said one team staffer, have some players concerned about applying too much to their skin lest they do damage. End quote. Yeah, I'd be pretty worried too if I was slathering myself in homemade glue before every single start. Yeah, I might have concerns about what my skin might look like too. I might have concerns about skin damage. Like I understand hitting yourself with some sunblock before a day game, but homemade glue? Like not even glue, but 
home glue. Like home brew. Home glue. Yeah, I'm sure that is pretty bad for you. I bet that's bad for you, but great for your spin rate. You know, like draft glue guy. Like, do these pitchers like invite each other over? Hey, yo, come check out what I got brewing in my garage. A bunch of bottles of glue lined up. Yeah, you know what you losers do? You go to CVS and you buy Elmer's, man. I've got my own. I make my own. It's like the most baseball thing ever, isn't it? It's the most baseball thing ever. These guys will do anything, no matter how ridiculous, including brewing their own glue. Kind of ridiculous. They'll do anything, no matter how ridiculous, to cheat and to get an edge. And always remember, the very first two things I ever said on the radio, as it relates to sports, when I first broke in and I got my opportunity. Two things. I said, scoreboard, look up at it. And I also said, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, and it's only cheating if you get caught. Now, where do you think I got that second phrase from? I didn't make that up. I got it from baseball. It's a famous baseball saying. Baseball, of course. Of course, guys will always cheat. Always. Always cheat. And will always be one step ahead of those that are trying to catch them cheating. And then when they do get caught, they will find another way to cheat. There will never, ever be a level playing field because somebody will always be cheating. ABC, always be cheating. Always be cheating. Always be closing. Anyway, anyhow, anything to get an edge. I mean, bring a nail file and sandpaper to the mound, of course. Inject yourself with bullroids. Cool. Bang on a trash can. Great. Cover your body in homemade glue and powerlifting adhesive. I'm on it. And not only that, it's like they're not even trying to hide it. Again, according to Buster Olney, they're being blatant about it. Baseball officials have been studying video, and they know where pitchers are trying to hide it. Quote, such as on his belt, on his left side, or between the third and fourth fingers of the glove, or underneath the hat, said one source. They know all the spots. The pitchers who are pulling on the strings on their glove or going to a spot on their belt. End of quote. Here's another beauty. Quote, in a game in recent weeks, the sources say one team say, it was so obvious that a pitcher on the opposing team was cheating, the players began screaming at him to stop cheating, and the feeling on the enraged team was they intimidated the pitcher into stopping. End quote. Hey, I mean, why not just go out to the bump with a backpack, a giant backpack, and replace the rosin bag with the backpack? Just leave the backpack on the bump, back of the bump, and put all your cheating utensils in that backpack. And then just between batters, just go to the backpack and load up, glue up, load up, pine tar up, do whatever. You know, better yet, don't even take the backpack off. Just pitch with it on your back. So not only are guys cheating, man, they're so bad at it that everybody knows. So who's doing it? How many guys are doing this? Apparently everybody. 
or near everybody. Like take the case of Garrett Cole. Cole gets roughed up in his last start against Minnesota. Twins third baseman Josh Donaldson recently wondered if that was because Cole was not using his typical grip concoction. That led to Cole being asked about using the sticky stuff, and that led to one of the all-time great answers in the history of answers. Check this. And how do you ever use spider attack while pitching? Um, I don't. I don't know. I I, I don't know if. Uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that. To be honest. Um, I mean. Global warming. There are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. And, and, uh, I've stood pretty, stood pretty firm in in terms of that, uh, in terms of the communication between our peers and whatnot. Um, you know, and, and I, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, this is important to a lot of people that love the game, this is, including, including the players in this room, including fans, including, you know, teams. And so if MLB wants to, you know, legislate some more stuff, that's a conversation that we can have um, because ultimately we should all be pulling in the same direction. On this. Wow. How painful was that? Struggling. Struggling. Uh, Val uh, 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 Kilmer. That was some straight Jim Tom Sula, Tom Jim Sula stuff right I would there. Not say that I wouldn't say it either. I, I was waiting for him to point off to the side and shout, "Hey, yo, yo, look, look over there!" And then try and sprint away from the podium. Let me tell you something. It's pretty basic. A general rule of life. A basic rule of life. If you were asked. A yes or no question. These are the possible answers. Yes or no. And anything else is yes. And this guy jumped right into that off the bat. Listen uh, to how he answered uh, a yes, no question. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if. Uh, I don't know quite. I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Okay, um, remember, remember, if somebody asks you a yes or no question, either you say yes or you say no, and anything else is yes. Like you could cut the first thirteen seconds off that answer, and you've got yourself one of those Southwest Airlines commercials. Hey, you want to get away? You want to get away? Yeah, because Garrett Cole wanted to get away in the worst way in that moment. I'm guessing he'd have been willing to chip you off a giant chunk of that 324 mil that contract, in order to not answer that question. If you're asked a yes or no question and your answer isn't no, then it's yes. And if it involves a phrase like customs and practices that have been passed down, then it's not only yes, it's hell yes. And that's exactly where my man went. Quote, There are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players to younger players, from the last generation of players to this generation of players. And I think there are some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard. Customs and practices handed down? Dude, we're talking about spider tack on a baseball. Not like stories from our ancestors or the family's secret lasagna recipe that nobody outside the family has ever been allowed to see. 
If you're asked a yes or no question and you start by talking about customs and practices that have been passed down, you better go Tony plush and shout, oh, I got to go. I got to go. That's what he should have done. That's how he should have answered that. If the answer isn't no, no, I've never done that. You know, if you want to say, hey, come on, Rome, at least he was honest. Yeah, all right. What he should have done is say, oh, I got to go. I got to go. And let's not make the mistake of saying that he had a hard time answering that question and he gave you an answer. The guy could not have been any more clear about what the answer was. Listen, it's a bad look when you're among the league leaders in multiple categories and then you have a bad outing. And then an opposing player wonders if you aren't on the grip. And then when you're asked about it, you come up with that answer. All right, now, the reason I'm singling this guy out was, well, the answer, (laughs) obviously, one of the greatest answers in the history of answers, but I want to be very clear about this. It's not just about Cole. It's about, apparently, nearly everybody who takes the bump in the majors because this is kind of like that Lance Armstrong thing, right? If the guy who's got one of the fattest contracts in MLB history is doing it, how am I to assume that pretty much everybody else isn't as well? If one of the best is doing it, why would I assume that everybody else isn't as well? Like that Lance Armstrong thing. If the guy who's winning it every single year, how would he not be, or how would he be the only one who's not doing it if he's winning it every single year? Anyway, there is a degree to which hitters will allow this, right? In fact, I would even argue there is a degree to which hitters want them to be on the grip. You don't want guys up there chucking a rock at triple digits with no control over where the ball is going, right? But there are lines. And at a certain point, it crosses the line. And apparently, it's crossed that line right now. Guys apparently are going to the mound with the sticky stuff and the pelican grip and the spider tack and the homemade glue. Like, dudes are out there practically with bleeping chemistry sets. In order to get that spin rate. And you know what? I got to be honest. Not only am I not indignant. Not only am I not enraged. I think it's hilarious. I really do. I don't even blame these guys. If the league's not doing anything. At least not until now. To stop it. Why the hell wouldn't you smear yourself. With wood glue. Or homemade glue. Or flex seal. Or whatever else you can use. To get you a better grip. Because if you've got the grip and you can get guys out, then you can get paid. And isn't that the whole point? I mean, sure. It's embarrassing when you get caught. Just like it's embarrassing when you're injecting yourself with bullroids or banging on a trash can. But that's baseball. That's baseball. Here's your American pastime. Baseball and cheating. And sure, it might get a little bit awkward if you're Garrett Cole and you have a moment like this. And have you ever used spider attack while pitching? Um, I don't, I don't know, I I don't know if, uh, I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer warming. I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from Listen, as my guy Tim Grover likes to say, your mind has to be stronger than your feelings. And if not your mind, then your bank account. I'm sure Cole didn't mind that question that much. I'm sure he wishes he had the answer back, but and I'm sure he wishes that Donaldson didn't point point out what he pointed out and took that run at him. But I'm sure that he went home and he logged on to his bank's website and he felt better about himself when he saw that that automatic deposit of a few mil kicks in every time he throws a few pitches. 
Hey, you want to hear something incredible? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically and with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. That's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. CJ in the Bay. CJ, what's up? That Gavin is such a cute little squirt. When I was 14, I called in to talk to him on the deuce. I asked Harris Barton about Neon Dion on the Niners returning kicks. But back to Gavs, keep working your craft, and one day you can grow up to be a legendary clone. You can run around in a Speedo. You can kiss yourself in a mirror and generally just go full Kevin Spacey. Just don't buy your own hype. Creepy Brad cannot be within 100 yards of a school. So he will RSVP no to your graduation ceremony, but he'll be happy to attend your graduation party if you got a keg and natty light and some quasi-legal co-eds. Just keep it fresh. Don't be a boring stiff like that corpse from Southeast Wisco. Chris has a shot at smack-off airtime so we can have an intermission. Does anyone anywhere stop what they're doing? When you hear Rome say, Southeast Wisco, let's go to Chris. We all hear, Southeast Wisco, time to take a piss. Alvin gets time to hit the private bathroom to impregnate the Charmin. Hawk will go sneak in a quick vape pit pretending he forgot something in his rig. And Rit will go grab a hot chocolate like a nine-year-old. Not sure what Rit contributes, but maybe we should kick him out of the XR4TI and rename him something appropriately emasculating like, say, a Jimette. But I have a promise to make to the jungle. If Silk Bro hits his 18-to-1 odds for the win, I will go away forever. No calls, no emails, nothing. Silence. If Manzier wins it all, I will call in and call him my daddy. Just like he's Tito's bitch, and then I'll vanish. But I do want to dance on some graves right quick. The 2020 AAU Tournament Champ, Half Champ Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, and by the way, SoCal, the Giants still have the best record in the show. Jake in the city of Buffalo. Three clones got run trying to take up for their city, and Rick ditched the city to spend the summer in Manzier's meth trailer. In Huntington, riot. Kevin Durant's balls. All-time great player. All-time Kendall below the waist. In fact, I want to defer this grave dance to the jungle's resident nerd. I want you to execute the Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. We have our own Alfonso Ribeiro. Mark in Hollywood, take some time off from your gig on America's Funniest Home Videos and come dance on these headstones, please. Go crazy, dork. War. Vic getting his ass run again, but taking the award for the clone most likely to be under FBI investigation. Get help, bitch. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online, so any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore, so we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. Matt Olson is my guest. Matt, good to have you on. How are you? Good, Jim. How you doing? Good. 
Good, Matt. Great to talk to you. I want to ask you really quickly, Matt, about the win over Arizona where you scored five runs in the fourth. I bring that up because you scored those runs by having a couple of walks, a couple of singles, a fielder's choice. I mean, always good to get that big bomb, right? But what's it say about an offense that you can score five runs in an inning without a single extra base hit? Yeah, uh, you got to be able to do both. Uh, You know, the homer's not always going to be there, especially when – a cold windy night in Oakland sometimes so you got to find a way to, to produce other ways. I thought you were going to say the home run's not always going to be there when guys are loading up the baseball with all sorts of homemade glue and goop. <laughs> yeah obviously it's a hot topic in baseball right now but uh, hey no matter what happens we got to stand at the dish and try to hit it. I'm going to be more artful than that. I didn't want to rush right into that like I did, but maybe I'll come back to that. Let me ask you this. There's something, and by maybe coming back to that, Matt, I think definitely I'll come back to that, but I want to ask you about this great new tradition the team has. I think it's awesome where a player gets awarded, the player of the game, a 40-pound golden trident as the rider of the wave. How did that start, and what do you think of that trident? Uh, Well, that thing is is heavy to start uh it's, it's a legit trident um i think it started the the starting pitchers were uh came out struggling a little bit to start the year and they were in a little group chat and they said don't worry about it boys it's just you know a little down down part in the wave and we'll get back going and they turned it in to ride the wave and everybody kind of ran with it and um you know we hit a double or a homer we, we give the the ride the wave into the dugout and you know it's good because baseball is really is full of those ups and downs uh along the whole course of a year but uh sean and i have been the the uh you know wild card that he is one day i guess just went online and, and bought a legit trident to have in the clubhouse so uh you're gonna have to ask him about that one i think it's brilliant dude i think it's so cool i i love it and it you know it reminds me and i'm on the outside looking in but it reminds me of the thing that i always hear about the team when I talk to Bob Melvin when I talk to David Forrest we talk about the chemistry of the team and these guys always talk about you and Matt Chapman being the center of all of this since you arrived you know and from talking to both of you I get that sense and I'm getting it again right now when we talk about things like the try and like how would you describe the chemistry in that clubhouse what's it look like and feel like to you it's awesome I mean it's it's always it's always been good since uh you know ever since I've been up here and, and seen the dynamic in the clubhouse. Um, you know, you don't you don't typically think about chemistry in pro sports necessarily being a huge factor. Um, and I feel like people look at it as more of a guys making millions of bucks and just kind of doing their own thing. But you know, I do think it really matters. Uh, we've had one of the lower payrolls the last three years and found ourselves in the playoffs and uh, you know competing with with some of the, the bigger teams with the bigger payrolls. And, um, you know, I, I think that the chemistry is part of it. Everybody's in here and, and you know, we all get along and, and we mess around and have fun with it. But, uh, you know, when we're out there, we're grinding too. Talking to Matt Olson, Matt, it always seems to me like the guys who say that it really doesn't matter are usually the guys who don't have it on teams that don't have it. But the guys who think that it does matter and believe in it obviously are benefiting from it, and they do have it. And then you've got a manager who leads from the front in Bob Melvin. He was honored with his 800th career win as a manager of the A's. This has always been a really big Bob Melvin house. I always enjoy my conversations with him. There's this story that years back when you were in AAA, you hit kind of a rough patch, and he texted you. Like, what do you remember about 
about that message, and what's it say about the big league manager doing that with somebody in the minors? Yeah, I mean, I I could almost guarantee you that not every big league manager is doing that. Um, you know, Bo Mills been up here since I got up here, and uh, you know, he's he's like the perfect manager. He's a, he's a creative manager. Um, you know, he he does his work, and you know, he's a, a big. Uh, you know, strong force for us at the top, but also he, he uh, knows everybody on a personal level, likes to joke around with us as much as we do with each other. And, um, you know, he, he's just the perfect guy to, to kind of be leading us. And it was a cool moment to be there for, for uh, the 800th win. And, you know, we celebrated with him a little bit. And, uh, you know, got him a nice bottle of wine. Everybody signed it. So just a, just a special moment. So who picked out the wine? I think that was I think that was Jed Lowry. He's he's the wine guy on the team. Are you a wine guy? Yeah, but you know, I when it gets down into uh what region it's from and, and what year and vintage, I I panic and, and pass the list to Jed. <laughs> I panic. That's strong. Like I, I ask because I really don't know that much about it. I wanna know more about it, but I just haven't gotten there yet, so I don't really know. Matt Olson's joining us. I I would ask you a question about that, a smart question, but I don't have any. Listen, you are really seeing the ball pretty well. You're hitting nearly four hundred for the month of June. I mean, is that what that is? Is that a function of seeing the ball well and executing, or have you made some adjustments? Um yeah, you know, I feel like it's kind of a combo. Uh, I made some I made some adjustments in the off season, just looking at uh, my swing from last year and and you know addressing things that that I didn't like. But um, you know, for the most part, I've I said uh, coming into spring that I wanted to kind of get back to you know the feel and, and rhythm at the plate, and um, felt like I got caught up in in mechanics and video and stuff last year. So I really just wanted to kind of get back and you know play the game of baseball and um you know was doing that in spring and and had some good results and i've just kind of been riding that since at the swing like not not to be weird about this but like it's it, it it's so mental right it's mechanical of course but what do you do with the swing like do you bring the swing home with you is it like work that you bring home do you leave it at the office is the swing always with you like what's the relationship between the player and the swing <laughs> well I think that uh, that goes along with the relationship with you and hits. Uh, you know, <laughs> when uh, when you're not getting a lot, that that thing will uh, the swing will, will be on your mind a lot. But uh, you know that that kind of goes along with with what I was saying right there of, of trying to you know just get back to playing the game. I, I think sometimes, uh, especially last year for me, you can you can carry stuff with you that you know really just isn't helping at all. Um, you go home and worry about your swing after a bad game and talk yourself into doing something crazy the next day and, you know, set yourself back even more. So, uh, you know, this year, good or bad, I, I kind of wanted to to uh, back off it a little bit and, you know, go out there, watch the pitcher warm up, watch him throw in the game and, and uh, you know, just, just like uh, we're out there, you know, playing a high school game or, you know, sometime when you didn't have all the, all the info and analytics that you have now and, and, uh, kind of get back to just playing the game boy isn't that interesting with all that information you get that information overload like try easier but try easier is sometimes the hardest thing you know Matt just to double back to what we started off with like if you're in the batter's box and a pitcher is using something to get an edge and it can dramatically increase spin rate 
can you explain like how much more movement can a pitcher get with the ball and how much tougher is it for the hitter to hit the ball when you have that increased spin rate, especially if you're doing it kind of illegitimately? Yeah, well, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't want to be throwing any shade out here. Obviously, these guys are incredibly uh, talented. Um, and spin rate has been a, a huge focus for guys in the offseason. You know, they got they got uh, rap soto and, you know, things that, that monitor their spin, so they're working with it all offseason. It's obviously a, a direction that the game has gone where they're um, – you know, maybe a little less from guys pitching, painting corners, and more to throw it harder, spin it faster, and and your stuff's going to be better. So, um, you know, I, obviously a guy who uh, is spinning it fast, throwing it hard, is is a tougher AB than than the opposite. But uh, you know, like I said, it's it's uh, it's it's nothing we can do about it. Obviously, it's a hot topic, but I got to put the bat on the ball no matter what. Listen, I respect the response, Matt. I just baseball's funny like that, right? Like, where do you draw the line? Like, there's certain things that certain players or all players will allow for in terms of trying to get an edge, and then there are certain things that are over the line or over the edge. So, where do you draw the line? Is it just a function of it's in the rule book or not? Like, the code is changing, the line is moving. How do you know what's cool and what's not at this point? Yeah, and I think that's I think that's where everybody's at. Um, you know, I think. Everybody's just kind of sitting around and, and looking for, uh, you know, that kind of answer. Um, I don't know if, if the MLB is going to get involved or, you know, set a, a specific, uh, you know, tack or, or rub the balls up differently or, or whatever it may be. But um, yeah, I, I do think that's where it'll probably end up going is, is some sort of universal uh, rub or, or something like that. I got you. Hey, really quickly, guys around the team are talking about the Little Red Machine, which is a pitching machine. Guys love it. What is it about the Little Red Machine that makes it such a good tool to work with? What is it? Uh, so, yeah, that Little Red Machine was uh, – we had Tommy Bastella halfway through the year last year, and that was his little toy that he brought over. And, um, you know, he uh, – I think he might have struck out, you know, three or four times in like two months with us, so – uh, I was kind of watching what that guy was doing, and um, basically what it is, it it simulates like a, a good spin rate forcing uh, fastball. So, you know, you, sometimes your your eyes plays tricks on you with those pitches. You you feel like you're on it, and you're way under it, pop it up or whatever. So, uh, me being a guy who has some long arms and and length in my swing, where uh, popping stuff up there's a little bit of a tendency for me i get in there on that machine and it just it helps me get back on top of pitches and uh you know it's been working so far my man this is why i love this conversation every time you come on he is a first baseman with the a's he is a two-time gold glove winner oakland is in first in the al west and today's actually a game day and matt olson still made it in matt really appreciate you great to have you back man thank you so much for that no problem appreciate it jim This is a metaphor for your business's journey. Sometimes it feels like you're going 100 miles an hour, barely keeping up. But to cruise through challenges, you need someone who's right there with you. That's what Dell Technologies advisors do. They have the tech advice you need to get past whatever's in front of you and get to where you want to go. For advice on solutions like XPS 13 laptops powered by Intel Evo Platform, call an advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. 
the Laguna Beach Bully. Left with an RSVP, I'm assuming. Yo, champ, what's cracking? Jimmy, how you doing, bro? Good, Left. How are you? I'm good. Sorry, it's been a little while. I've been making that homemade glue so I can doctor up some splitters on the 25th. So you know I'm going to be there, dude. Can't wait. Good, man. Good to hear it. How you feeling about yeah, it? Yeah, bro. Hey, I'm, uh, everyone knows I'm looking to win this thing twice, twice this year. And uh, for my fourth ring, Jimmy, I want to get it sized for my middle finger. To all the haters that didn't vote for me as best caller ever in your Twitter poll, first of all, thanks for including me. Second, I find it interesting I received only 9% of the votes despite winning 50% of the smack-offs I've ever been in. Let me put something into perspective really quick, all right? Brad in Corona is 46 years old. Now, I'm not a huge sabermetrics guy, but I have to imagine the efficiency ratio of poo-poo and pee-pee jokes sharply declines around the age of 45, Jim. But good news, I've got about 15 years left of that stuff. Hey, did I hear Fabian call in the other day and ask how to organize a watch party? Yeah, I'm not sure that's the best idea, considering the last watch party he organized consisted of binoculars, camouflage, and a ladder to a bathroom window. And uh, really quick, Jim, Mark and Holly would love the RSVP where you fat-punned my name 600 times, which is exactly the same thing you did in last year's smack-off. Mark, the only thing fat about me is my wallet from winning this thing so many times, right? I mean, did I miss the memo that it was opposite day or something? Because... Dude, if so, you're super tall, you're really handsome, have a totally normal hairline and teeth that are proportionate to the size of your head. Jimmy, I got to hit on Hawk's beer really fast. Swing Lube. Hawk, nice name for a beer, man. I, I'm not kidding. At first I thought Swing Lube was something Alvy and Mill brought to couples parties. And I love this Mormon brew clocking in at a whopping 4% ABV. So for the smack off, I'm going to go beer a collar until it's my turn, be sober enough to operate a motor vehicle, yet still get atomic beer farts for the next three weeks. Anyways, Jimmy, let me tie a nice bow on this one. You've been talking all month about history being made this year, and uh, we got our game seven, dude. It's 3-3 between Brad and I the last six years, and Jimmy, like Rick and Buffalo's five-speed hatchback and Brad and Corona's man purse, I'm absolutely clutch. See you on the 25th, baby. My man, left in Laguna. Rack him. There's your champ. With the all-important RSVP, I like that. Game 7, he's right. Let's talk about the clones who are actually going to be on during the smack-off itself. You just heard from the defending champ, Lef. I've gotten away from the player profiles so I could take a look back at the callers from yesteryear. Yesterday, we ran down the stuck-nut odds. Today, we are back on track. Back on track with the profiles and a look at a five-time champ who absolutely dominated his era. And keep in mind... Left just said, it's going to be a game seven between me and Brad. They each have three. Yeah, well, how about this guy? Shawnee. Sean the Cabo Nation. He's got five. The stat sheet speaks for itself. Twelve events, five straps, two runner-ups. The only caller to ever three-peat. So the old school jungle will bend a knee in reverence. Instantly gloss this guy, the greatest to ever do it. And I'm not going to say they're wrong. Shawnee represents a certain time around here that many listeners regard as the best time, the best version of the jungle. And at one point, it would be impossible to argue that he wasn't the best to ever do it. You know, but he left, he left for 12 years in 07, went off to his own thing. Brad and Corona shows up and then does the unthinkable and wins five of his own. So to me, as long as these guys are tied 
It's always going to be like a two-goat jungle. Lately, it's left has three, and Brad's got three of the last six. So it's game seven. But Brad's got history. Brad and Sean tied. You got Shawnee from his generation. You've got Brad from this generation. But I'm talking about Sean today. A guy who's got a fistful of jewelry. A guy who went away for, again, a decade plus. But then he came back as part of a cameo in 2018. Then he returned on his own in back off 25. You know, reconnected with the jungle, made some amends, took some shots at callers he had never even competed against. Also, yes, I know. I am bald, I am fat, and you're all wondering how much I'm paying my fiancé. I get it. Go ahead. You see, you guys can Google my ass and find material for days. That's the advantage you guys have on me, an advantage that you will undoubtedly fumble away the same way all of you not named Brad have for the last decade. Try Googling Mike in Indy. Try Googling Mark in Boston. All you get are Craigslist links for a bunch of guys nicknamed Sully selling printer cartridges out of the back of their Buick LeSabre in Southie. Even Brad and Corona, the famous Brad and Corona, you Google Brad and your browser turns into a money-in-the-bank match of douchey UC Riverside frat boys. So Shawnee would go on to take fourth in the 2019 smack-off. Great showing after 12 years off. Then last year in 2020, he rolled in again, and he did this. Hey, uh, props to Jeff in Southfield for being the first caller to make it through his entire call while undergoing electroshock therapy. Dude, why do you talk like that? When you get friends someday, that's going to be a big problem for them. Dodger Vigilante Twitter is bad, Jim, but not nearly as bad as smack-off ramp-up Twitter. Opening Twitter the last two weeks has been like when I had to go to the mailbox while I was getting divorced. There's nothing good in there. It's like lawyer bill, lawyer bill, debt collector. Tweet from Matt in L.A. Oh, my God. This Matt guy, this rambling moron who's addicted to hashtags and allergic to punctuation. Dude, you're the worst. I wish there was a feature on Twitter where I could just give you 50 cents to go away like a homeless person. I'll give Brad and Corona credit. You wake up, you call in, and you be the biggest tool you can possibly be. Pfizer, cigar, shades, shirtless avatar, checks all the boxes on the douche list. I'm guessing Brad and Corona's favorite category on Pornhub is Brad and Corona. The amazing thing is that call, that call, as good as that call was, that was only good enough for seventh. All right? I mean, a step back on paper, but a giant step forward in the grand scheme because he made it back again. It's the smack off, and one of the best, if not the best ever do it, is back with two straight appearances. Now, I'm telling you right now, I love having this guy back. Not only does he represent a bygone era, but he and Brad have got to go through each other to break the tie to get to six. That's all anybody could ask for, right? So those were Sean's most recent efforts. Obviously, still has high spin rate, can still run it up there. Here is the dude's very first smack-off call going all the way back to 98. 1998, fourth annual smack-off. Got to keep this thing moving along. Biggest day of the year in the jungle. Hope you're keeping score at home. Hope you took the day off. All right, let's go to it. We go to the Cablin Asian, Sean in Houston. Rome, it is a privilege to be included in the biggest radio extravaganza of the year. Now, you know, Rome, in my time as a jungle dweller, it's like going to school. I've learned a lot. I mean, just in the last year, I've learned things like all Utah callers have the personality of a dish rag. I've learned that there is a part of me that really does want to eat the other half of the sandwich. And I've learned that John Candy is alive and well and living in Youngstown under the alias J in Y-Town. Now, here in H-Town, Jim, smack has basically become our third professional sport. And the only downside is a smack runner that I see to it. The paychecks aren't quite as nice as, say, baseball. 
football or basketball. I mean, I've called this show dozens of times in the last year, and I have yet to get a W-2 from Premier Radio, and I have yet to find a 1040 form that has a place for me to claim metrics, nutrition packs, and cartons of Aura Blast or DirecTV t-shirts as compensation. The fourth annual smack-off. How great is that? So that was 98. One year after his first smack-off call, Shawnee would rip his first of five in 99. In this topsy-turvy world where the president can treat an intern like a blow-up doll while he's got Boris Yeltsin on speakerphone and still keep his job, where a team will guarantee Tony Martin a six-figure salary even if he goes to prison, there are two constants that I know, Jim. One, the only way that Shaq gets his name on both sides of the forum is with a can of spray paint and a ladder. And two, I know that from 11 to 3 Central Time every day, I'm going to be entertained. The influence of your show, frankly, Jim, has felt not only in your time slot, quite honestly, it's spilled over into the others. I mean, before your show came on down here, Jim, the typical call to the local afternoon show went something like, yeah. Yeah, Kenny, first-time caller. I was wondering if Mike Hampton is a lefty or a righty, and I'll hang up and listen. Now, Jim, thanks to the jungle, the typical call to the local afternoon show goes something like, uh, Yeah, Kenny, first-time caller. I was wondering if Mike Hampton is a lefty or righty, and I'll hang up and listen. I'm out. Yeah, major improvement, Jim. The next really get it down here. That was the beginning of a dynasty, a dynasty that went from 99 to 07. Nobody can take that from him at all. However, it appears the man himself is looking to add to it because he has come back around. And of course, 1,000%, he is invited again. That goes without saying. I haven't heard from him, but Sean knows how this is played. He knows he has a lifetime exemption. Hell, he's got five lifetimes worth of exemptions because of calls like these. 1998 was the first time I was invited to the smack-off And here I am, three kids, two marriages, and five titles later, and this never, ever gets old. I win more than anybody because I am the best at this. Always have been, always will be. I love the story this week about Jason Williams taking that writer's pen hostage because the guy supposedly misquoted him. Of course you were misquoted. Dude, nobody can understand a freaking word you say. Give the guy his pen back. Like, you're ever going to write with anything other than a crayon or a can of spray paint. The smack-off is upon us, and when I get number four today, I can tell you right now it's going to be better than sex with George Carl's wife. Bobby in Brooklyn. Where I come from, Bobo, we have a word for someone in New York City who speaks good English, okay? A visitor. Who's the best-looking van Gundy brother. By the way, if your brother looks like Ron Jeremy and you're considered the ugly one, maybe time to get that face transplant, Jeff. Masters champ Phil Mickelson, who took the timeless art of slump busting to a whole new level when he bypassed hopping on a heavy set gnarly babe and decided to go ahead, grow a rack, and actually become one himself. Otis, my man, you're a pretty good caller already. But I got to tell you, when you finally learn to speak English, dude, you're going to be unstoppable. I'm a huge Big Poppy fan, I got to tell you. So it's been a rough couple weeks. The shooting totally messed me up. And I come to find out it was a case of mistaken identity. So naturally, the first thought that I have is what beef could Esther Roll have possibly had with the Dominican drug cartel? I took a torch that was passed by my predecessors, names like Ditola and Iafredi and Ditola and Iafredi. What the hell is Eustacia going to be able to teach NBA players, right? All he did was get drunk and... Lick a few co-eds. The average NBA player was doing that at like age three. Just like the shout out to all you tennis fans who are pissed because Anna Kornikova had to withdraw from Wimbledon because of a back injury this week. Look, the woman spends an inordinate amount of time on her back, okay? This is bound to happen sooner or later. Get over it. 
I hate people who say that Brian Cashman has the hardest job in sports. People think his job is hard because he looks like he has two chocolate-covered donuts around his eyes and because he has this perpetual look on his face like he just saw C.C. Sabathia getting out of the shower. I mean, Cashman's job is more unbearable than having to sit next to Digger Phelps for two hours a night. Reese Davis would probably beg to differ. I got to read the, uh, the article about Jay Stu in the Daily News this morning. I wanted to point out my favorite quote. It's amazing how little my college education has to do with this. Stu, you went to Fullerton. Of course your college education has little to do with your job. There's no spatula involved. The champ is here. Of course your college education has little to do with it. You went to Fullerton and there's no spatula involved. Shawnee, the Cabo Nation. The only question now is, will he be here on June 25th? I do not know the answer to that. But we will all find out within the next 16 days. There is your player profile. So while we're caught up in asking the question, who's the best to ever do it? The BIC? Left? Maybe the answer is Sean. We'll see. 1-800-636-8686. All right, when we come back, we'll talk some hockey. And I want your thoughts on that. In fact, go ahead and weigh in. I had the poll up on Twitter, but weigh in right here. Who is the best to ever do it? A lot to get to, so we are joined right now by Kevin. Kevin, it's good to have you back. How you doing, my man? Thanks, Romy. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, everybody, everything is good. Hope the family's good on your end, and all the great listeners are doing well, too. Appreciate you saying that. Everything is good on this end. I hope everything is great with you and yours, too. So, Kevin, let me start here. Everybody had enormous expectations about that Vegas-Colorado series, and you know nothing ever lives up to the hype, but when you consider what went down last night in Denver, does it feel like this is living up to or maybe even exceeding the hype? Yeah, I'd say so. You know what? That's Those are two heavyweight teams. They're stacked. They're fast. They can attack off the rush, score off the rush. They can score off the cycle. They're physical. There's so much star power and superstar power in that series based on those two rosters. And, you know, what's really made this a little bit more of a fair fight than people would have thought is Marc-Andre Fleury is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's going to go down as one of the best goalies in the history of the league for the Vegas Golden Knights currently. But Philip Grubauer has elevated his game to a Vesna Trophy goalie of the year type level as he's one of the finalists for the Vesna Trophy, as is Marc-Andre Fleury. So that's what's made this this matchup between these two franchises as compelling as it has been. And it's been unscripted. Obviously, Colorado got off to that early lead yesterday. I thought the altitude would be a factor uh, in their, to their benefit, to Colorado's benefit. It was in the first half of the game. And once they were able to find their life, Vegas, they were able to overcome that deficit and, and make the game of it and end up winning the game. It was very, very hyper-entertaining game yesterday. Great game. Kevin Weeks joining us. Kevin, go back, if you would, to Marc-Andre Fleury. He's in his 17th NHL season. He's had to deal with doubters for a long time, people trying to declare that he's been done for years, yet he continues to show up huge. How do you explain this? It's just the way he's wired, man. You know, he was drafted first overall, which is hyper-rare for a goalie, and he's so talented, so gifted, so athletic, but he had some adversity playing in the World Junior Championships prior to even coming to the NHL, and he was able to overcome that. And then he got in the league and then had some adversity along the way. Then even to the latter stages in Pittsburgh, had some adversity along the way. Matt Murray burst onto the scene. It became Matt Murray's net, and Pittsburgh ended up trading him to, to Vegas. And, I mean, listen, once he's gone to Vegas, it's, been, it's just been great to see. You're not going to find a nicer person that treats all the arena staff all the front office, the trainers, the locker room people, everybody, security, let alone his teammates, better than he does. 
And a big part of that is his makeup. He's smiley. He has a positive outlook. He's got a positive demeanor. It's infectious. Even before overtime yesterday, he was smiling before they went on the ice. In our pressure pack position, that is playing goal. You and I have talked about that before. Probably the most pressure pack position in the world of pro sports, team sports. And, uh, and he was able to just find a way to always be in the moment and overcome adversity. So he's a great example to so many, whether you play the position or you don't. You like to see good things happen to great people. He's a great person. He's one of the greatest goalies in the history of the league. No doubt. Kevin Weeks is joining us. All right, so let me jump around a little bit. Kevin, how impressed mm-hmm. were you with what the Canadians did in sweeping Winnipeg? <laughs> I didn't see that happening. I mean, Winnipeg, obviously they went and swept Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, two MVPs of the league. McDavid will win it again this year, I believe. I mean, they swept them. They ate their food. So uh, Winnipeg was great in the first round. Their goalie, Connor Hellbuck, is amazing out of Commerce, Michigan. But that matchup, I think it was kind of a rest versus rust once again, and, and that ended up favoring Montreal. Carey Price is back to being his elite self, calm, composed, smooth in the net. And the way Montreal's played right now, the way they're playing, it, am I surprised to see that they struck Winnipeg? Yes. But I have to tell you, Mark Bergevin, their GM, it's been a long time. Don't get me wrong. It took, it's been nine years for him in this role. But this offseason, he might have not only had the best offseason of any general manager in the NHL, he certainly might have had the best offseason of any GM in all of pro sports. Outside of maybe, we're going to say, Tampa with them, uh, with them getting uh, Tom Brady and Gronk. And, of course, uh, Antonio Brown and then winning the Super Bowl. But that aside, as far as players... In acquisitions, nobody had a better offseason than Montreal, and that's paid huge dividends for them right now. We're talking to Kevin Weeks. Kevin, what about Tampa Bay? How have they looked to you in the first two rounds? Stacked. They're stacked, Romy. That team, that team's absolutely lethal. They're so le- How about Nikita Kucherov? Don't play all year. Get hip surgery. Don't play all year. And come back and lead the Stanley Cup playoffs in points? Crazy. Like, who does that? Right. Like, honestly, they're, they're, they're great. They've got the best goalie in the league uh, and, and Andre Vasilevsky, who's money goalie, the standard of greatness right now. Victor Hedman, who's nominated for the Norris Trophy again. Vasilevsky, their goalie, as I said, nominated for the Vesna again. And then Kucherov up front, Braden Point, Steven Stamkos. Their power play right now, Romy, is clicking. I wouldn't even say clicking. It's at an explosive 41 point, call it 42%. A power play in the Stanley Cup playoffs, clipping at 42% when you have the man advantage, that's incredible to me. So their team is stacked. And what I also like, too, we spoke about it last night, Ruffer and I, and Tone, your, your good buddy Tony Luffman on the NHL Network, is their support pieces, not only the stars, the support pieces have been huge. I spoke to some of their players yesterday and a member of their staff who said, we see, you know what, between Vasilevsky and the net, it was our fourth line that got this game, that won this game for us and put this series to bed. It was the fourth line that did it. So that's a testament to their support pieces and their depth as well. Kevin Weeks breaking it down brilliantly. Listen, really quickly, from one goalie to another, when you talk about Vasilevsky, and he is the standard, right? But mm-hmm. like you've said, Kevin, he's built like a tight end or he's built like a stay-at-home totally. defenseman. But at the same time, this guy is so flexible. How do you explain a guy being that big and being that flexible? And what, is it, like, what does that mean for him when he's on the ice that he can do those types of things at that size? Yeah, like, could you imagine, could you imagine Gronk doing the splits? And Gronk grew up playing some hockey in Buffalo, too, by the way. And he was just on the ice with, the, with Tampa uh, at the start of the playoffs. But could you imagine seeing Gronk do the splits on ice in goalie gear, like, regularly? Like, right. that's, that's kind of what you're getting in, in Vasilevsky. But we do know that the Russian program, in terms of their development of athletes, all, all athletes of all disciplines, not only hockey, we know that it's, 
it's among the best in the world. And flexibility is always a hallmark of, of Russian players, but especially Russian goalies. So going back to the great Vladislav Tretiak, whether it's Sergei Bobrovsky from the Panthers, who's won two Vezina trophies during his time in Columbus, Semyon Barlamov, if you're seeing now with the Islanders, who's been great. And, uh, and now you're seeing that in Vasilevsky. You're seeing, you're seeing that same flexibility for a guy that's that big. He's worked so hard at it. He works extremely hard. Their goalie coach, Franchin, uh, has done an outstanding job with him. And, uh, and he's always raved about him since they drafted him. He just said his work ethic's off the charts. And you could see that in his performance. Uh, I got a lot of time for Vasi. And take this, Romy. The fact that he's that big and powerful, as I always say, and he wears the great Eric Lindros as number 88 for the Flyers fans out there. He wears his number in the net, and he's as big and powerful as he is, but he plays goal. It's a pretty crazy combination, man. It's wild. It's wild. One yeah. last thought. Yeah. So you mentioned the Islanders. Like, if you're the mm-hmm. Lightning and you're watching the Islanders and the Bruins, is there a team you'd rather play or one you'd rather not play? Or at this point, <laughs> are you just feeling good about yourselves and feeling confident that you're going to beat whoever's put in front of you anyway? Two-part answer. Number one, I love your latter point. Yeah, they're confident. They feel nice with it right now. They're confident in their game. They're saying, hey, listen, we know what we bring to the table. We're good. We're ready to rock. But stylistically, because I know you always talk boxing, styles make fights numerous times. And where that's concerned, stylistically, I think the Islanders are a tougher matchup for Tampa only because there's not as much open ice to be able to make plays because of their discipline and how well they defend uh, for the Islanders. But in the case of Boston, what's, what's kind of put Boston in a bit of a pickle right now is they got four-line production after Taylor Hall trade, and now that's kind of tapered off. They're not getting anything from their third line. No offense out of their third line to Charlie Coyle line, which is kind of a head-scratcher because they're big and powerful and very skilled. So I think stylistically, if I'm Tampa, I'd rather play Boston just based on the matchup. But the way Tampa's rolling right now, they're like, that's okay. We'll play the Jim Rome All-Stars. We're good to go. That, no one better. An NHL network analyst. He played more than 14 years of professional hockey. Helped Carolina to the 2002 Stanley Cup final. You can watch Kevin Weeks on NHL Network's NHL Tonight, which is airing before and after every single Stanley Cup playoff game. My man, you usually get a lot done on this program, but that might have been the best ever. Great to get caught up, Kevin. Appreciate you. Thank you very much, and I'm glad we could do that again. It was great. Thanks so much, Roby. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on, and thanks to all the NHL fans out there, too. Appreciate you. Good night now!